welcome to Purpose Church. My name is Eric and I'm one of the pastors here at Purpose Church. And if I haven't gotten a chance to meet you yet, I would love that opportunity, but I am so grateful that you are tuning in today. Our senior pastor, Pastor Glenn, is actually at a church in Arco, Idaho, who for many years has been using our sermons uh, via video on Sundays so they can pastor and care for their people without worrying about creating a sermon each week. And this Sunday, Pastor Glenn is preaching live to that congregation. So we're praying for you, Pastor Glenn, and excited to hear what God has in store. Well, today we're continuing our flip series where we're studying the Sermon on the Mount, the the greatest sermon ever preached, the longest recorded sermon that Jesus ever preached, found in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And the title for today's sermon is this, Financial Facts with Jesus, Investing Wisely. Now, I just want to give out a a little disclaimer. These are not my own financial advices for you. In, In fact, I don't have a whole lot to offer you. You see, the only time I've really started to like financially invest in, in you know, I was kind of getting interested in, in either mutual funds or stocks. I remember the iPhone 6 was about to come out. And Apple had announced that they were going to use a company called GTAT to, d- to provide and distribute the screens for their newest iPhones. And I remember my friends talking to me and saying, this stock is going to blow up. It's going to be incredible. And so I got a little bit of money together and I invested in GTAT. And I remember the morning I invested in GTAT, the shares went for $8 a piece. Well, almost overnight, those shares jumped up to $30 per share. And I thought, I'm rich, right? Like I'm going to be set the rest of my life. Well, the very next day, Apple announced that they were not planning on using GTAT anymore. And literally within hours, the stock plummeted from $30 a share to $1.07 per share. And the company almost went bankrupt. They went from being a $2 billion evaluated company to going down to $150 million. So see, you don't need any financial advice from me, but I believe today that God, through his word, through the words of Jesus recorded in Matthew chapter six, that he has some financial facts that have the power to change your life and my life. You see, the reality is a significant portion of your life will revolve around earning, saving, giving, and spending money. So your relationship with money isn't something you should brush aside as unspiritual or necessary. And maybe you're thinking, okay, didn't, didn't Pastor Jeff talk about finances a few weeks ago? Why are we talking about it again? Well, first we're talking about it because Jesus is talking about it again. He is bringing it back to the surface. But the reality is there are over 2,000 Bible verses that address money and possessions. That 16 of the 38 parables that Jesus tells talk about money and possessions. And so the reality is our money and and our possessions matter greatly to God and our relationship to them matters. I want to start out the message with sort of sharing three biblical assumptions about God and money. Biblical assumption number one is this, God owns 
everything. Look at what it says in Psalm 50 verses 10 to 12. For every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the insects in the fields are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you for the world is mine and all that is in it. The Bible assumes that God is the owner of absolutely everything. And number two, the Bible teaches that God gives people all of their abilities. Deuteronomy chapter eight, verses 17 and 18. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord, your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And then thirdly, God calls his people to be generous. One of the defining attributes of followers of Jesus, the people of God in the world is we are marked by generosity because God in Christ showed us immeasurable generosity. In 1 Timothy 6, 18, Paul says, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. So the Bible from cover to cover emphasizes these three big ideas when it comes to money and God, that number one, God owns everything. Number two, God gives people all of their abilities. And number three, God calls his people to be generous. You see, today, I think Jesus is going to flip our perspective and our view on money. I think Jesus wants to have a conversation with us about our relationship with money. And I promise you this, he wants to have this conversation with you because it's ultimately for your good. Because if you get your relationship with money wrong, everything else in your life will become corrupted. And so today, here's what we're going after. We're going after four financial facts with Jesus. What does it mean to invest wisely? Well, financial fact number one is this. Earthly treasures cannot be perfectly protected. Jesus begins this teaching in Matthew chapter 6 verse 19 with these words. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Now I want to pause here for a second. There are worthwhile and good earthly investments that we can make. Well, first, let's begin with investing money. Jesus in Matthew chapter 25 teaches a parable, the parable of the talents that supports and encourages the idea of investing our money wisely. The word of God encourages us to save. In Proverbs chapter 20, 21 verse 20, it says, the wise store up choice food. Remember, uh, food was oftentimes uh, a measuring stick of someone's wealth. It was currency that they could trade. The wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. The Bible commands us to financially take care of our families. Paul says in 1 Timothy 5 verse 8, 
anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So having emergency funds, having resources to take care of your family is a godly thing. And then God wants us to enjoy the life that he's given us. Again, Paul says in 1 Timothy 6, 17, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth. That's getting after what Jesus is teaching. The goal is not to put our hope, our treasures in the current life that we're living, to not put our hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. God wants you to enjoy things in this life. And Jesus, in fact, Jesus didn't always uh, correct and rebuke wealthy people. Sometimes he would if their wealth was used towards their own advantage or, or in greedy ways. But you know, Jesus's ministry was actually supported by a number of wealthy women. In Luke chapter eight, verse three, it says this, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others, these women were helping to support them, the disciples and Jesus, out of their own means. You see, money is a fairly neutral reality and part of our lives. What isn't neutral is our relationship to money. This is why Paul in 1 Timothy verses, chapter 6, verse 10, he gives a, a, a harsh challenge to us. For the love of money, the love of money, not just money, but the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people are eager for money and they have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. You see, the love of money is ultimately going to turn on you and produce more pain and sorrow and tragedy in your life when you are obsessed about money. It's why Oliver James, who's a British psychologist, he talks about affluenza and he describes it this way. Affluenza is an obsessive, envious, keeping up with the Joneses, buying things we don't need with money that we haven't got to satisfy needs that can't be satisfied by material things. See, Jesus is calling into question that if you and I invest all of our resources in treasures on earth, that we can't protect those investments, that they will eventually fade away. And so at the beginning of our message, I want to have a little, a little DTR with our money. All right? I want to have a little define the relationship moment with our money. And to help us with that, I just want to raise a few questions that maybe you can talk about with your spouse or with your roommates, or you can journal by yourself your responses to these questions. Who does my money belong to? Who do you believe your money belongs to? Who decides how I spend my money? What motivates me to make more money? How much of my personal worth is shaped by my net worth? I think a lot of us, we need to zero in on that question. How much of my personal worth is shaped by my net worth? And then lastly, is my monthly spending consistent with God's values. I just want to confess to you, I remember in the first year of Sarah and I's marriage, before we were married, 
I used to love to go to Amazon and, and find all kinds of tech devices or things I, would interest, I was interested in and, and I'd buy them and I, I loved doing that. And I remember the first year of our marriage, sometimes Sarah would fall asleep at night and I'd still be awake and, and I'd go check Amazon and I'd, I'd look up new tech devices or things that I was particularly interested in and I would buy them and I had this kind of impulsive buying. And I remember in that first year of marriage, God really convicting me that I was still thinking of my finances. I was still thinking of my money as this is my money and I can do whatever I want with it. But now being married to Sarah, I'm more accountable. And so we began to talk more about our finances and get into a much healthier place. Maybe for some of you, your financial world right now is like a tornado and it, it is unclear and it's messy. I wanna encourage you to, to talk with a family member who's wise financially, to, to talk with your spouse, to, to get on the same page, to have a DTR with your money so that you don't miss out on what God has in store for you. Financial fact number two from Jesus is this. Heavenly treasures, in comparison to earthly treasures, heavenly treasures are indestructible. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 20, Jesus says this, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. You see, Jesus is saying, there's a lot of things you could spend your money on that you won't be able to perfectly, per perfectly protect. New iPhone, new smartphone, uh, vacations and trips, uh, uh, tickets to the movie, to games, um, impulsive buying on Amazon or Target or wherever you're at. Now, again, those things aren't necessarily bad, but those things will ultimately be destroyed. But then Jesus, he clues us in and says, there is a kind of heavenly investment that is absolutely indestructible. But I gotta be honest, as I was studying this passage, I had even the prideful thought, man, but, but I make this money, why shouldn't I have full control over it? And maybe you've had that thought too. Well, I bring the money in, why, why, why can't I have full control of it? You see, it's because heavenly investments they never depreciate, they never diminish. And God knows that if you and I had full control of our finances, we would invest in all the wrong places. We would put all of our finances in things that would not last beyond the next few minutes, the next few years, or even our lifetime. And Jesus wants you and I to invest, to make investments that will not depreciate, that will not diminish. Some of those heavenly investments that God is calling you and I to make are tithing generosity, having some kind of generosity fund in your budget, maybe giving to our building campaign here at Purpose Church as we believe God has called us to, to make some improvements in our worship center and to make some improvements in the e-building to reach more kids and students. Maybe God's putting on your heart to generously give towards the ministry here at Purpose Church. Maybe it's camp scholarships or kids scholarships. You see, and, and even as I, as I talk about these things, maybe some of you are going, hold on, hold on, Eric. You talked about tithing. And tithing is not a New Testament principle. That was something in the Old Testament. I would lovingly challenge you because Jesus would challenge you and I in that thinking. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 23, it says this. 
Woe to you, this is Jesus speaking, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Jesus is saying, I don't want my people to only give financially or only do acts of justice. I am calling my people to be different in the world, to be lights in the world. And so I am calling you, and he's talking to the Pharisees specifically, he's saying, I am calling you to acts of justice and to a life of financial generosity. But maybe you didn't grow up with this. I was doing premarital counseling once with a couple and the bride had been in the discipline of tithing 10% her whole entire life. And her husband, that hadn't been, or her groom, the, the man she was gonna marry, hadn't been accustomed to that kind of giving. And so during our premarital counseling session, what they decided together is that they were going to commit to 5% giving. That they weren't just going to impulsively give when something came up, but they were going to regularly give 5% of their income. Now, God calls us to give 10%, but if you need to start at 5%, I think God's okay with that. And this couple, after checking in on them, they have seen how God has met their needs how they've become more even connected to the ministry and the mission and what God is accomplishing even here at Purpose Church. Or I think about an amazing couple here at our church who has been involved for many, many years. And a long time ago, they had over $100,000 of debt and they just felt the weight of this financial burden. And maybe some of you right now, you're feeling that weight. I mean, it's hard for you to even focus in this sermon because you're thinking about the bills, you're thinking about the debt, you're, you're thinking about those loans, you, and it's overwhelming to you. Well, this couple had $100,000 in debt, and then they signed up for our Financial Peace University here at Purpose Church, which I want to let you know, we're going to be starting those up in the fall, and we would hope that you would join us if you're looking for some peace and, and some extra support as you're trying to get your finances in order. This couple joined the Financial Peace University class, and their finances were turned upside down. All of a sudden, they had tools and resources and a strategy for their finances, and what's crazy is they were able to wipe out that $100,000 in debt. And during their course of this experience and up to this point, they've been able to continually give more and more every single year. They started with tithing 1% at Purpose Church and they have continued all the way through 10%. And when I was talking with the husband, he just said, you know what, we just, we, we just made a decision that we were gonna trust God. That God, God would help us to manage in better ways the 90% that we had if we gave him the 10%. That God could do far more than we could imagine if we would trust him. And, and their, their guiding passage throughout this season has been Malachi 3.10 where it says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it all. 
Friends, one of our values here at Purpose Church is generous people transform the world. And I just want to say this. This is not a sermon where we're trying to say, man, we, we want your money. Purpose Church needs your money. No, no. This is much larger than that. This is that God has called his people to be defined by generosity. That God has called his people to trust him with every aspect of our life, with our relationships, with our future, with our past, and yes, with our finances. That when we trust God with our finances, he does something in us. It's it's why we say generous people transform the world. They transform the world, but God also transforms us in the process. Our, Our tagline for this is the local church is the best place to invest financially because every dollar you give goes further faster I think of Purpose Church as kind of a, a holy mutual fund. It's one of the reasons my wife and I have committed to tithing at least 10% here at Purpose Church. Because for every dollar that we give, it gets spread out all over here in the city, ministries here on our campus to all the age ranges. It goes beyond our country into all the ends of the world. And hang with me because at the end of my sermon, I want to give you just a brief report of how God is using your generosity to literally change the world. See, Paul, let me finish his passage. Paul in 1 Timothy 6, 18 and 19, he says, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. And then he says this, in this way, in living a life of generosity, in this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves, borrowing the language of Jesus. They will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. You see, you've made purchases before that you thought were just gonna be absolutely awesome, that you thought were gonna change your life. And then you spent more money fixing them or repairing them or dealing with the fallout of those purchases. And Paul here is, is borrowing from Jesus and confirming what Jesus is saying, that if you and I will live with our hands open-handed when it comes to our finances, trusting God, taking our financial facts and wisdom from Jesus, we will take hold of the life that is truly life. Why does God care about what you do with your money? Because he wants you to experience life. He wants you to know what it's like to live life abundantly. When I got here to Purpose Church, I think I was 25 years old. And on my 26th birthday, I invited a bunch of friends from Purpose Church to Don Jose, this this Mexican restaurant that I I just loved. I loved Don Jose and they had a big enough room. And so all of our friends from Purpose Church and some of the staff from Purpose Church, we gathered and, and it was an amazing dinner. I remember having so much fun laughing and having these great conversations. And, and I invited Pastor Glenn and uh, Kimberly and, and they came and they hung out with us and it was incredible. And, and then it came that time for the bill and, and I asked them, I said, well, what's the bill so we can start to kind of divide it up? And the waiter looked at me and said, somebody already paid for it. The whole bill's been already paid for. And I thought, we have like 20 or 30 people here. How is that possible? And he said, yeah, it's been paid for. I kind of looked around and, and one of my friends said, 
Pastor Glenn and Kimberly paid for your birthday dinner. They paid for everybody's dinner. I remember just being absolutely stunned. And uh, Courtney, who was our uh, high school ministry coordinator at the time, I remember her and I walking over to Glenn and, and she just said, Glenn, that was amazing. And I said, Glenn, thank you so much. And he said, you know, Kimberly and I, we just love it. We have a budget line in our personal finances, a generosity budget line. And we just love looking for opportunities to do these kinds of things. And he wasn't looking for any credit. He didn't want any attention. He'd probably even be embarrassed that I shared this story. But the purpose of it was Kimberly and Glenn have discovered what it's like to take hold of the life that is truly life. And if you choose to become an even more generous person, you will experience a kind of joy that earthly treasures could never, ever give you. And Purpose Church, we just finished up our student ministry summer camp. We had over 250 students and leaders here on our campus experiencing the good news of Jesus and the community that comes with being a follower of Christ. And it was an amazing, absolutely amazing three days but we could not have done it without your generosity. And so I wanted to, you know, a picture is worth a thousand words, a video is worth a billion words, I guess. So I want you to see with your own eyes the impact you made through our summer camp. Let's watch this together. was worship because everybody sang and I usually don't hear them and it just felt like God was speaking to me. Definitely my favorite part about campus week was life groups because I got to see how um, many of my friends actually could relate to the sermon and the vulnerability of everybody in the life group. I'm visiting from Houston. I've been living there for about the past two years and so to see everybody, to see the change, but to know that they're still my friends, that was really nice.
Financial fact number three with Jesus is this. Your money goes where your heart already is. Matthew chapter six, verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Here's where Jesus, he really dives to the core of the issue. He says, your money is intentionally invested where your heart is naturally invested. Your money will be intentionally invested where your heart is naturally invested. And so Jesus might say to us, if you're curious what your heart really values, go look at your checkbook. Go look at your credit card statement. And maybe as you look at your checkbook and your credit card statement this last week, month, or year, you're realizing, man, my heart is not aligned with God's heart. Jesus' purpose here is not to make us feel guilty. It's to reveal to us what is true, that our money goes where our heart is. And so if our heart becomes aligned with God's values, with God's kingdom, with the things that matter to God, then our finances will follow in that direction. And so maybe the question for you is, where is your heart? And if you're curious where that is, check your financial statements. Fact number four, financial fact number four from Jesus is this. You must choose your highest priority. You must choose your highest priority. Jesus closes his teaching in this section in this way. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus talks about our eyes being healthy. In the original language, in the Greek that this passage was originally written in, the the, the word for healthy eyes could be translated single eyes, having a singular focus. And and when Jesus talks about having unhealthy eyes, it's almost like a, a, a picture comes to mind. And the picture is, imagine if you or I were just standing here, and then all of a sudden we start shaking our head back and forth, trying to focus, we would not be able to. You see, if you're shaking your head back and forth, as in going, I want to buy this thing, and I need this thing, and this will give me happiness, and this will bring me fulfillment, and I want that. All my friends have this. If we live our lives not singularly focused on the kingdom of God, but instead in, with unhealthy eyes that are constantly diverted to the next big purchase, we are going to have a headache, and we are going to have a directionless life. Jesus says it's better to have healthy eyes. In other words, he is saying, Jesus is speaking about the importance of having financial vision and direction. Do you have financial vision and direction? I grew up surfing. I grew up in Ventura. And one of the things I loved doing when I lived in Ventura was surfing. Going out early in the morning or or later in the evening as the sun was setting. I loved going out and surfing. And I learned really quickly that when you're out in the water, you can either drift or you can paddle. And if it's your goal to catch a wave, the purpose of being out in the water on the surfboard 
then you're going to need to paddle. But here's what I learned about drifting. Drifting is subtle. It's oftentimes unintentional. It's easy to do and it's absolutely dangerous. Sitting out there on the board, just kind of drifting will ultimately take you out into the middle of the ocean and you'll never catch a wave. But if you choose to paddle, then you're going to learn paddling is purposeful. Paddling is hard work, but paddling always pays off. You see, you can either financially drift or financially paddle. And I can promise you, you'll never catch a wave by merely drifting, but you will catch a wave if you paddle. If you wanna experience the life as we looked at Paul's passage in 1 Timothy, if you wanna live the life that God created for you to live where there's the maximum amount of joy and purpose, you cannot drift financially. You need to paddle and be intentional about your finances, which is why Jesus drills a little deeper. And he says, he says that you will despise, that no one can serve two masters in verse 24. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. The interesting thing about that word despise is in the original language, it could be translated indifferent to, or maybe unconcerned with. And here's what I'm terrified of. I'm terrified that in our culture, we have fallen in love with money and we have been, become unconcerned with the kingdom of God. That we've fallen in love with money and become completely unconcerned with the kingdom and the values of God. And then Jesus says this last line, you cannot serve both God and money. You see, money there in the original language was mammon. And, and mammon was the god of wealth in Carthage, which was an ancient northern coastal city in Africa. So Jesus is saying, there's the god of money and there's the one true God. And you cannot serve both. You have to decide. In other words, you have to decide, will money become a servant to you that you use for the purposes of God or will money become your master? Dietrich Bonhoeffer says it this way, our hearts have room only for one all embracing devotion and we can only cleave to one Lord. Nikki Gumbel says it this way, the problem with money is that we think we own it, but if we are not careful, it ends up owning us. In the Southern Italian city of Pompeii, on August 24th, 79 AD, at around 12 p.m., Mount Vesuvius, a volcano, erupted. And maybe you've been watching Loki, like I've been watching Loki, and you're like, whoa, it was featured in there. Well, it's a real historical event that took place. And when this, when this volcano erupted, people were leaving the city, fleeing for their life. Well, there's a story of of a woman who, as she was fleeing, she began to grab all of the jewelry around her. And it became so heavy and so cumbersome that as the volcanic ash began to fall on her, she died. And what's crazy is that all these hundreds and even thousands of years later, 
during a modern building project, they unearthed this woman, this petrified body who was surrounded by all of her jewelry. What a picture. What a picture of what we could become if money becomes our God rather than something we use for God's glory. You see, friends, she lost her life trying to save her treasure. And so I, I want to I I ask you to ponder this question with me. Is it possible that giving your treasure away could bring you more joy than holding on to it ever would? You see, if, if you invest in mutual funds or stocks or your kid's college fund or your retirement plan, you know about ROIs. ROIs are return on investment. And at the end of the year, you find out what was your return on investment. Well, I'm convinced that in heaven, when we join together, when in the new heaven and the new earth, that when we're in the presence of Jesus and other followers of Christ, that we will get to see our heavenly ROI. That we'll get to see all the ways that God used our generosity, that God used the money that he gave to us that we entrusted in his hands, we will see all the marvelous, miraculous, life-changing, eternal, eternally changing ways that God used our money. And it's going to be absolutely incredible. But what I want to do just for a few minutes as I close out my sermon is I want to give you a partial heavenly report. I, I want to I I show you a partial ROI on your investment here at Purpose Church. And, and, and if you're a part of Purpose Church and, and you regularly tithe and give here, my hope is that as you hear these stories, as you hear about the life change that was made possible because of your generosity, that it would inspire you to continue being more generous, that it would fill you with joy. But if you're not yet tithing and giving here at Purpose Church and you're a part of this community and you want to be a part of it, you can join in. You can participate financially, trusting God with your money and watching him do the incredible, more than you could do on your own. And so may these stories encourage you. Our prayer ministry here at Purpose Church just recently shared with me that they are hearing stories of a young man being healed from cancer, a woman's heart condition no longer needed surgery, and a young child's tumor has not spread. That ministry is made possible because of the sacrificial time and the sacrificial giving of you. Our homeless ministry here at Purpose Church in partnership with God's Pantry and Hope Partners will feed thousands of individuals and families every single month. Your generosity is literally leading to food on people's tables. Or, or what about our clothing ministry? Did you know that every single week over a hundred individuals receive clothing and household goods because of your generosity? Or, or what about around the holidays here? Did you know that we provide hundreds of gifts to children of prisoners and other families in need? along with hundreds of holiday meals and food baskets. And I've met some of these families who have come to Purpose Church because they received one of these gifts from you. 
Or did you know that we have a ministry called VIPs? It's a team of volunteers here at Purpose Church who go and visit our seasoned saints that are homebound, that can't make it to church. And in this post-COVID season of isolation, they've been the hands and feet of Jesus. And that this ministry is made possible because of your generosity. Or did you know that in Purpose Kids, there's a third grader named Juliana. And Juliana lost her mom suddenly to COVID. Her Aunt Nancy, who is a member here at Purpose Church, brought her into her home and is raising her as her own. Through your faithful giving, Juliana is learning about Jesus and Nancy is being spiritually supported by our Purpose Kids team. Or let's talk about outside of our country. Did you know that your generosity is building water wells in Zambia and India? That it's providing sewing machines for impoverished women in Laos, India, and the Philippines? That that you're providing goats for kids in Haiti? Did you know that your financial generosity is providing missionaries with the support they need in Indonesia, in Laos, in Thailand, and India, who are actively working to prevent children from being sold into brothels and to help dozens of trafficked women leave brothels to start reputable businesses. Did you know that the Mann family here at Purpose Church for three generations has been helping to transform Thailand by convincing Thai farmers to grow coffee instead of opium? I went to Thailand and I got to hang out with the Mann family and they were telling me about how they would go into villages reteaching farmers, reteaching a whole village how to grow coffee and in the process sharing the gospel of Jesus. And they told me they would literally see entire villages surrounding surrender their lives to Christ and get baptized. Their ministry is your joy. The work that they are doing was made possible because of your generosity. Or what about Rooted and our group's ministry? We've had over 2,000 people at Purpose Church go through Rooted. And a number of years ago, a single woman registered for Rooted and she couldn't afford the, the price for the book. And so she was scholarshiped through your generosity. Well, did you know that by the end of the 10-week Rooted experience, God had provided so richly for her financially that she made a donation of $2,000 to provide resources for over 100 people that would participate in Rooted after her. Or we had our community care event around uh, Easter time where we went around to people in our community asking how we could meet their needs. We met a young woman who was expecting her first baby. As a single mom, she did not have any means to buy the necessary things for her baby. Our church, through your generosity, brought in items including diapers, wipes, and a brand new car seat and stroller. The mom was so overwhelmed and with tears in her eyes, she said to our team, nobody has ever done anything like this for me before. But Purpose Church, you did. Or what about Dick and Maddie Coleman, who are longtime members of Purpose Church? They're a part of our longest running adult Sunday school class. They have both gone home to be with the Lord. And at their passing, they chose to, they chose to bless Purpose Church and include us in their will, in their estate giving. And their generosity has made it possible for us to weather the storm of COVID and continue to do ministry. 
And how about student ministries? Eight years ago, this past Wednesday, Erica Mayett went to summer camp with us. And she didn't have a relationship with Jesus. And by the end of it, by the end of it, she had surrendered her life to Christ and she chose to get baptized. But the only reason she was able to come to camp is because you, Purpose Church, generously provided a scholarship for her. And now Erica and her husband, Johnny, are serving as life group leaders in our high school ministry. I just can't say this enough. Your generosity makes all the difference. That when you choose to invest wisely, give sacrificially, tithe and trust God with your finances, he is doing immeasurably more than I could ever even describe. And so my hope is this partial heavenly report would encourage you and I to continue to be generous, to invest in heavenly treasures. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for today. I pray, Lord, that you would use this message, that you would use your truth, Jesus, to speak directly to our hearts. May we, your people, be generous as we tithe here at Purpose Church, as we give generously, as we live sacrificially. Would you, Jesus, help us to take hold of the life that is truly life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.